time that we've been able to spend in Sermon Lab supporting each other and batting around ideas. It, it has been a delightful time. And I'm also indebted by the, uh, with the commentary from Edmund Clowney. You'll hear a lot of those ideas this morning. Last week, Andrew talked about how we are called to live holy lives of love to God and of love to each other, craving the word of truth, which is the gospel, the good news. This week, we will continue with those themes. Funny thing, because it's the same letter. So please stand and hear God's word from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who puts their trust in him will not be put to shame. To you who believe, this stone is precious. For those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message for which they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And please join me in prayer. Holy Father, as you meet with us this morning... May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you and encouraging to your people by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the grace of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So Peter starts this passage, or this passage this morning, with a phrase, as we come to him, as we come to Jesus. Peter is expanding the beauty and the impact of a Christ-filled life in this passage. And he launches into a bunch of Old Testament imagery and references. He actually quotes the Old Testament three times, which I found was interesting because he's writing primarily to Gentiles. One of the results of doing this is that Peter is connecting these Gentiles to the broader and larger story of God. That redemptive story that is never 
changing but always unfolding. He is showing them that they are part of something bigger than themselves, that they are part of God's story, which I think is very encouraging, particularly when you're in times of trials, which they were in. And also this has some deep implications and deep foundations for us today. So we're going to look at that. So as Peter shows us that as we Peter shows us that as we come to him and as we enter into his redemptive story, we experience God's presence more fully. And then we are gifted with a position and a purpose in his kingdom. So those are the three themes that we're going to be looking at from this passage. God's presence, our gifted position, and then our purpose. So the first, God's presence. In verses 4 and 5, Peter talks about the living stone and the spiritual house. And in verse 6, he talks about a cornerstone, a capstone, rock, stone. All of these are Old Testament references bringing forth the image of the temple. Now, the temple is intimately interwoven with the presence of God. The temple, that place was special because God was there, because his presence and his glory resided in that place. And it was a place where God's people came to meet with him. So just to get a feel for this presence of God and to understand the context that, or the references and the images that Peter is bringing forth, I'd like to just talk about some of the times in the Old Testament when God met with his people. So we're going to jump back into Exodus when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt in a dramatic way. And he, brought, he brings them to Mount Sinai. And it is here that God meets with his people. The people that he has called, that he has chosen, that he has rescued. Exodus 19.16 describes this meeting and the presence of God. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him, That's a pretty dramatic account of God's presence. Fire, smoke, thunder. And also note how the people were separate from God. They couldn't even put their foot on the mountain. But God, in his grace and in his love, did not stay on the mountain. In Exodus 25, God says, Tell the people to make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. 
So the tabernacle was a big step because now the presence of God had a resting place, a tangible place in the midst of the camp. God was dwelling among the people. And he was actually, he was guiding them on their travels as well. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, did not stay in the tent. As the Israelites settled in the promised land, God directed David and Solomon to build a temple. And after Solomon dedicated the temple to God, God came down in fire and glory. And he filled the temple. And because God resided in that place, the temple and all of its ministries became integral to the rhythm of life of this growing nation of Israel. It was a place where God's presence rested. And it was a place where God's people could meet with him and be a part of his ministry. And now we come to Peter. God, in his mercy and his love, did not stay in the temple. Peter is describing to us a new spiritual reality of God's presence being connected to the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God. And those who put their trust in him will not be put to shame. As we come to Jesus and are united to him, we, like living stones, are being built into a temple, a place where God's presence resides. The presence of God that we now just described, the fire, the thunder, the, the glory. Peter is telling these little places, these little bits of, um, not bits, these small groups of people, that that glory, that presence is with them. In Pontius, in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and New Life Church. So the implication is God's presence is here with us this morning, right now. His presence is manifested in our fellowship as we are present with each other. I don't know about you, but I find that downright amazing and frankly, really, really hard to get my brain around. But it's true. It's real. God is here. This body of believers is an entity, is a place where God's presence resides. Amen? Amen. And as God's dwelling place, Peter makes clear that we have a position in his kingdom, in his house, and a purpose. So first, let's talk about the position. This position, to be clear, is given to us through Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the foundation of this building. It is not anything that we have done or can do or will do. It is gifted to us by God. 
Peter makes references to this in verse 5 by talking about living stones. And in verse 9, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, belonging to God. Verse 10, people of God. All of these phrases indicate a position that we have given to us by God. So I'd like to talk about those a little bit. The first point I'd like to make, and you probably noticed, is that they are all fundamentally and essentially corporate. These stones that Peter is describing, they're knitted together. They are symbolizing lives that are connected and dependent on each other in order to create a space where God's presence and God's glory may be experienced. Now, Clowney writes, Peter thinks of the spiritual temple not as the body of an individual believer, but as the body of believers, the company of those who are joined to Christ. This position of being together and interwoven is founded on the cornerstone of Jesus. And it is essentially connected and interdependent with other Christ followers. One brick does not make a temple. And this corporate nature of our position in God's kingdom is further reinforced by the fact that God calls us priests, a nation, a people. He calls us to a position that is so much bigger than an individual. Now I'd like to talk about belonging to God, indicating that we are not our own. It brings to mind the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. And the question says, asks, what is our only comfort in life and in death? And part of the answer is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And those that belong to Christ belong to a spiritual house, to a family of God. Clowney again states, church fellowship is not an optional advantage to be chosen or ignored like a membership in a social club. It is the calling of every Christian. There is a spiritual ethnicity to the church of Christ. Christians are blood relatives joined by the blood of Christ. So I have a couple of implications for us, I guess practical things to take away, because these are heady, big ideas. The first implication struck me was that there, that since we belong to God, since you are priests and you are chosen, there is, real no, there is really no ordinary work or calling for you. We have an opportunity to live into this position that God has given us in every circumstance because this position transcends every circumstance. But it also enters into everything that we do. So I think this means that I can fold laundry 
and cook for my family in a priestly way. I think the second implication of this, and I think it's more important, is that in the house of God, there are no ordinary people. You are holy. You are royal. You are chosen. You belong to God. So what does this mean in our day-to-day lives and in our interactions in our church? Well, I can share with you how it's impacted me. So through the years, I have been in a lot of meetings in this church and in this church body. And I have to say that some of the meetings have gotten kind of heated. And I have certainly contributed to the heat. But there were times where God kind of stopped me and he brought this to mind. And he prompted me to look at this person across the table that I'm having a heated discussion with and I'm reminded you are chosen. You are at this table because God has you here. And in that moment, I get just a glimpse of how God sees this person. And it makes me pause and humbles me. And it prompts me, it, it, it compels me to interact with this person in a different way. And I think this is particularly poignant and timely for us because we're in a time of transition. We're going to be having some tough discussions. We're going to be talking about where we've been, where we are, and where are we going. And we have hopes and fears and and, and different expectations. So I think as we move into those discussions and we're reminded that there are no ordinary people here. I think it will help us have those discussions in a way that can honor our king and love each other well. So now that Peter has told us who we are, what position we hold, he then tells us what we should be about, what we need to do, what our purpose is, So in verse 5, he says, offer spiritual sacrifices. In verse 9, he talks about declaring the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. These are really movements of worship, responses to the beautiful and amazing gifts of God, the gifts of his presence, and the gift of his, the position that he has given us. So offering spiritual sacrifices, because God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We now offer everything about us to God. Peter describes not one act done occasionally, but a whole new orientation for us, an orientation of praise. Declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Peter encourages us to praise God for who he is, offering a sacrifice of praise, adoring God, just adoring God. And Peter also encourages us to offer praise for what God has done in delivering us out of darkness into his light. And as God's priests, living in his light, we show forth God's praises. And I was struck with the ideas Andrew was praying about how we can impact our town and our community and our county. It starts showing forth God's praises. Worship is really about giving, not receiving. It's about responding to God's gifts appropriately. Worship of our God, adoring him, is simply just the right and appropriate response to the grace that he has extended to us. Got my mouth is dry. Some years ago, on an early Sunday morning, God woke me up. I know he did. It's kind of weird to say it. But something was up. Something was going on. I didn't know what. So I got up. I went downstairs. Got my Bible. I sat on the couch. And I didn't know what to expect. And I was looking around the room. And I waited. And nothing happened. I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And nothing. And then the kids started to stir. And our Sunday morning chaotic routine, if you can call it a routine, developed and we were off. And later that morning... I was standing in this sanctuary singing a song with all of you. I don't remember what that song was. This is going to get me emotional. But at some point in the middle of that song, my breath was taken away. (gasps) Because God revealed to me that he was there in that room at the crack of dawn when I was sitting on the couch. And I didn't recognize him. And sitting on that couch, it wasn't about reading the scripture or memorizing something or, or, or doing something. He wanted to meet with me. Like I said, I didn't recognize him. And it wasn't until I was here with all of you that God's presence broke through. God had prepared me individually, but he broke through corporately. So that started me on a journey on a journey of pursuing God's presence with you. It's one of the reasons why I am so passionate about worshiping God 
with you. Because I can't know God deeply and fully without you. And I can't be a part of Christ's body without you. One brick does not make a temple, and one cell does not make a body. Please join me in prayer. Holy God, thank you, thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for coming down from the mountain and out of the temple and calling us as your people, building us into a spiritual house where you abide. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. Remind us that we belong to you, and may your praises be ever on our lips and in our fellowship. By the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please stand. Our last song.